You know, life is filled with a lot of normal, unexciting, routine, and dare we even say at times, monotonous days. Oh yes, you have those banner days, like graduations that we're celebrating today, and weddings, and births, and promotions, and winning the championship, etc. But in between all of those banner days... There are, we might say, those normal days. And for the majority of us here today, for most of us, our life is going to be spent and be made up of those what we may call normal days. A few banner days interspersed for sure, but in between many normal routine days. Now, the, the question is, how do we live this way? How do we make our normal existence, if you will, an adventure? How do we make these normal days, these routine days, more than just a a set of hours that mark off a day that we seek to get through? So maybe we can get to the weekend and then we get to the weekend and it flies by and we go back on Monday to work and we go through this routine and all these normal, routine, even monotonous drudgery Filled days at times. How do we make that adventure? How do we live in an exciting way? How do we live in a way that is more than just drudgery and monotony? The quick answer today is this. We turn our lives and thus our days over to God. We turn our lives over to God. I like the way the author, uh, author Gary Phillips put it. He said, trust the Lord. He has bigger plans for the investment of your life than you do. Trust the Lord. He has bigger plans for the investment of your life than you do. You know, the story of Ruth that we're studying right now reminds us of that. You know, the the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth is filled really with the ordinary. We don't find much in the events themselves to take us off guard. Uh, We don't find a book that's filled necessarily with miracles and fire from heaven or angelic visitations. In all honesty, the book of Ruth, in many ways, is filled with stuff that you and I can relate to. Things we can understand, things we can appreciate. Let's go ahead and recap what we've studied so far. There's a famine in Bethlehem, Judah. And that famine sends Naomi, her husband, and their two sons all to the land of Moab to sojourn there, to spend some time there waiting for the famine to be over. And while they're in the land of Moab, Naomi's husband dies. And Naomi's two sons, they take wives of the Moabite women. But then you read in the story that her two sons die. And so there she is with her daughters-in-law, And one of the daughters-in-law, she goes off, returns to her family and to her homeland and to what she knew. But there was one daughter-in-law who said, you know what? I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go where you go. Stay where you stay. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And, of course, her name was Ruth, the one whose name is on this book. And so they go back to Bethlehem, Judah, and they go back to a life of real hardship. I mean, here you have these two widows, and back in those days, their lives were going to be hard. 
Ruth says she's going to go glean in the fields. Back then, uh, according to the law of God, they had to leave when they were reaping the harvest. They would leave behind some grain. They would leave. They wouldn't get it all out. And those who were poor, those who were widows, those who were foreigners would come in and they could glean in the fields. And when she went out that day, she ended up in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And she goes out there and Boaz ends up being a relative of hers by marriage. In other words, he was a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. And we learned in the story that not only could Boaz provide for them food and, and allow them to glean in the fields, he could also redeem them. That is, he could redeem the land and he could redeem the family name. In other words, he can marry this widow named Ruth. And have a son with her and that son would carry on the family name on behalf of Elimelech and Naomi through the means of what we talked about a lot lately, a liberate marriage. And we won't get into all of that again, but we know that Ruth comes and she basically asked him to do this. And we studied about that last time. She asked him to perform the duty of a kinsman redeemer. She asked him if he would to marry her. But there is one little detail that we find standing in the way. And we learned about it right at the end of our time together last time. And that is there was someone who was in line before Boaz. There was a relative who was a closer relative who had the first option, the first choice of whether or not he would redeem the land and marry Ruth. And I believe in all, of all my heart that Ruth and Boaz wanted to marry one another. But Boaz, acting in love, was more concerned that Ruth be taken care of, was more concerned about doing the right thing, more concerned about being obedient to God than he was about even his own desires and his own needs. But he says that if this other relative will redeem you, so be it. But if he will not, then I Will. Let's pick up the story there in Ruth chapter 3, and we'll refresh our memory a little bit, and then we'll move right in to chapter 4. Okay, Ruth chapter 3, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So start at the beginning, get to Ruth, get to the third chapter, and I want to begin reading there at the end of that third chapter. And it says there in Ruth chapter three, we'll begin reading there at verse number seven. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold, a woman laid his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou, the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I carry this night and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman of thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman of thee as the Lord liveth lie down until the morning. We have her there going out very early, returning to Naomi and notice what says in verse 18. 
Naomi says to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. And now, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Chapter four. And as we move through this story and as we look at the rest of the story, we're going to move now from the threshing floor, from the floor to the gate. Okay, we're moving from the floor where she requested that he perform the kinsman redeemer duties now to the gate. Chapter four, verse one. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. And to whom he said, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, that is, the relative said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of the Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So let's just stop for a moment. Notice that Boaz wastes no time getting to the city gate. Now, why did they go to the city gate? Well, back in those days, that's where they did business. That's where they did legal transactions. And he gets there and that near kinsman walks by and says, hey, come on over here and have a seat. And he comes on and says, how are you doing this morning? Doing fine. How are you? Go ahead and sit down. And then he calls together some of the city elders. It says he called together, what, ten elders of the city and says, hey, y'all sit down here for a little bit. So they're all sitting there at the city gate. And Boaz begins to lay out what's on his mind. And it's interesting to note just how he does this. In wisdom, he mentions the land first. He doesn't mention Ruth at all. He says, listen, Naomi, she's going to sell a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And I thought I'd just let you know before anybody else, you know, comes along here that you're first in line to buy it. I'm second. I'm going to buy it. You don't buy it. Do you want to buy it? He says, I'll buy it. And he says, well, by the way, now know that when you buy the land, there, there's something else you get for free there. You get, you get a, a wife named Ruth. Now, think about that for a moment. He, he's going to uh, get this and he's willing to redeem it. But then he mentions Ruth. He says, you have to marry Ruth and you have to raise up seed and keep the family name going. Well, let's see what happens when the kinsman learns that verse six. The kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. What did he mean by that? Well, we don't know exactly what kind of family situation he was in at the moment, but he didn't want to interfere with his plans for giving his own inheritance away. I mean, I think that kinsman realized that although I said that Ruth was thrown in for free, it was anything but free. 
Because not only would he have to take on the responsibility of this wife, he would also have to raise up a son who would then be the one to carry on the name of Elimelech and the family name of Elimelech and even the land of Elimelech. So actually be giving up a whole lot, if you will. He says, redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. He says, I will not redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I do not want it. Now, notice what it says in verse seven. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man, watch this, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. That's a little bit different than we do things today. But let's imagine that Larry and I make an agreement and, and instead of shaking hands, he hands me his shoe. That's the idea. Now, back then, that's the equivalent of shaking hands, an agreement, a contract, a covenant. That means we have really sealed the deal and I have the shoe to prove it. And he hands in that shoe. And I want you to notice what it says in verse nine. Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day. You're witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's. Of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. The name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. He makes sure they understand it. He makes sure that they understand what's going on here. You are witnesses. You're witnesses. You're witnesses. I am the kinsman redeemer. I'm the one that's going to redeem the land. I'm the one that's going to redeem the family name. I have purchased the land. I have purchased. I have done all these things and I have now Ruth to be my wife. Verse 11 says, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And then they had a blessing there. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel and do thou worthy and uh, Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem and let thy house be like the house of Pharez and Tamar barren to Judah of the seed of which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. In other words, the elders give their confirmation, their witness and their blessing. And it was sealed with the sandal. So we move from the floor to the gate. Now we move from the gate to the wedding. And we go to this wedding there in verse number 13. Here's what it says. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. Now, we're not given a lot of details. We read more details about weddings in the newspaper. Folks, we don't even know that we do this, right? We just we're told here that they were married. We're not told how beautiful the celebration was. We're not told how beautiful Ruth looked. We're simply told that they're united as husband and wife. Now, think back to how these two met. You go back to the very uh, beginning of the story and she's there in chapter two. She's gleaning in the fields. And you remember back in chapter two. Look over there. Let's look at it together. Let's read it. Chapter two, verses five through seven. Boaz comes to the field. I want you to notice what it says in verse five, of chapter two. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? In other words, when Boaz looked out that day, he saw there was a woman in the field he didn't recognize. He said, who is that? And it says in verse six, and the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. 
And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. So the very beginning, she's out as a poor widow in despondency, just gleaning in the field of Boaz. And now we have them as husband and wife. This young lady, Ruth, came to a land, a strange land, not knowing anyone but her mother-in-law. She lost her husband. She left behind everything she knew, her homeland, her family, everything. She's honored God in her faithfulness. She's been faithful all the way through. Now, listen, she may have had nothing when she left Moab, but now she has everything. You see, beloved, this was a marriage that was blessed by God. It was God who brought her and directed her to that field that day, Boaz's field. It was God who put these two together. Here is virtuous Ruth and godly Boaz together as one. So we move from the floor to the gate, from the gate to the wedding. And now, as often happens, we move from the wedding to the nursery. Look at the end of verse 13. It says, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. God saw fit that they went from uh, being here, this young lady that's barren with, with no son, no daughter, no child. He saw to it that she became pregnant and she brought forth a son. Now, she had no son by her first husband, Malon. And he died. And that's how we're kind of in this story anyway. And perhaps they even thought that she was barren. I don't know. But now she's here. And after the wedding bells came a baby's rattle. God had provided someone to carry on the family name. Now, I'll be honest, we often forget at times just what a blessing children are. We were talking about this in our, our time together on Wednesday night. We we're talking about family we were praying for families and I I brought to the group on Wednesday night, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wake it, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, and eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. Listen, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man to have his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. That's a word of encouragement for some of you today, because we need that. Listen, (laughs) especially those who still have young children. We need that reminder that children are a blessing of the Lord. A great blessing. It's easy to forget that in the middle of the night when you're dealing with them. It's easy to forget that when you're struggling and going on through all the challenges and things of life. But listen, God has blessed you and your family with children. Give thanks and glory to him and recognize what a gift that you've been given. And I'm preaching to myself as well. Now, all this sounds very ordinary, doesn't it? Here you have the boy, you have the girl, they meet, they get married, they have a child. We can relate to this. Except for the part about the liberate marriage and the changing sandals. We can pretty much relate to this, can't we? So we move from the floor to the gate, from the gate to the wedding, from the wedding to the nursery, and now from the nursery to history. What do you mean, preacher? We'll keep reading. 
Verse 14 says, and the woman said unto Naomi, blessed be the Lord, which have not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee as a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter in law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons have borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse to it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. Obed. Now, here's where the story gets really interesting. Remember what I said about those ordinary days? You know, day after day after day, then a banner day and then day after day after day after day after day after day. And then another banner day, maybe once in a while. How do we make those exciting? How do we redeem those days? How do we make those days an adventure? You give your life to God. You give your days to God. Remember what Gary uh, Phillips said there. Trust the Lord. He has bigger plans for the investment of your life than you do. God had great plans for little Obed. By the way, if you're having a child, need a good name. Obed. I don't know. Think about it. Obed. Let's pick up our reading. Well, what, what's going to happen with little Obed here? Pick up your reading in verse 17. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. The father of David. Wait a minute. Keep reading. Now, now these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Now, wait a minute. Who is this David they're talking about here? Who is this David? I mean, here's little baby Obed. And God has been so gracious and blessed Boaz and Ruth. And they have now someone to carry on the family name. But then it says, little Obed grows up. He grows up. And he becomes granddaddy to David. King David. The man after God's own heart. Think of this. Here's a Moabite girl out in the field. She's a widow. She's lost everything. She's out there gleaning, trying to get enough to live. She's living for her and her mother-in-law and, and seeking to be a blessing to her mother-in-law. She will eventually give birth to the one who would father Jesse, who would father King David. Oh, the marvelous grace of God. Those ladies were right in verse 15. They said, listen, Ruth is better than seven sons. You know, Naomi's there. She's lost everything she thought, but, but not Ruth. And Ruth was better than seven sons. But listen, God isn't finished yet. God isn't finished yet. Here's the exciting thing. If you move from the Old Testament book of Ruth to the very beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, we find something very interesting. Not only do we find that Obed gives birth and, 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 and goes on through there to be the ancestor and granddaddy of King David. God isn't finished yet. Go to Matthew chapter one. We'll pick up our reading at verse number six of Matthew one. It says Jesse right, right before it says that. Let's back up to verse five. Salmon begat Boaz of Rakab or Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. 
And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begot Reboam, and Reboam, and Brera, and Abera begot Asa. And Asa begot Josephat. And we go on through all the way down. And then it says in verse 15, And Eliad begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mothan, and Mothan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, of course, we know that Jesus was born of the virgin. He was not the offspring of Mary and Joseph, no. He was born of the Virgin Mary, but Joseph was there as his his father, foster father or his stepfather, however you want to say it. The one whose line he would be in. And if I understand this all, beloved, and I put it all together. Here I have this young lady, this Moabite girl named Ruth marrying Boaz, just kind of living life. But she turned her life over to God way back there. And they have that little baby Obed and Obed has. Jesse and, and Jesse has King David and you go right down the line and you find that they're in the line for the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I say earlier? Trust God. Trust God. He has bigger plans for the investment of your life than you do. All this goes back to these ordinary people living ordinary lives. The key that took their lives from ordinary to extraordinary was that they gave their lives to God. They gave those ordinary days to God. They allowed him to direct their lives and do what he desired. This is exciting. I think of these graduates that stood before us this morning from the very youngest to the oldest of the bunch. And I I look at their lives and I think, what is it that God desires to do with their lives? Who knows, we may have had standing before us today future leaders. But the key in all their lives will be what? Giving their lives to God. Surrendering that control. What does the future hold for you, friend? You say, well, preacher... I mean, you talk about ordinary, that's my life. Listen, have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given your days to Christ? You see, it begins by literally giving him your life. Recognizing you're a sinner, recognizing you cannot save yourself, recognizing you're destined to spend an eternity apart from Christ in a place called hell. It begins there where you realize that I am undone. I'm lost. But then you hear about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, who shed his blood for you, who was placed on that cross for you, who never sinned, but took your sin upon himself, who was placed in a tomb, but then rose again victorious. And because he lives, you can live. He's conquered death, hell and the grave. And friend, if you'll come today Turning from your sin to Christ, He will save you. He will redeem you. He will give you eternal life. He'll give you the forgiveness of sins. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll give you peace and a future and a hope. He'll give you everything as He gives you Himself. I wonder, have you begun there? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you said, 
Please forgive me of my sin and save me. But if you've never done that, that's the starting point today. That's the greatest need you have. Your greatest problem is sin. Your greatest need is the Savior. If you've never turned from your sin to Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the true beginning of the rest of your life. But you know, some among us today have done that. And they know that if they died, they go to heaven because they trusted Christ. But here's where things get a little strange. Some of those very same people say, you know what? Jesus has my future. He has eternity. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. But if they were honest, they'd have to say, you know what? I, I, I trust him for all eternity, but I don't trust him with my job. I, I don't trust him with my family. I don't trust him with my health. I don't trust him with my finances. I don't trust him with you fill in the blank. Now, think about that for a moment. That doesn't make sense, does it? To say, I trust the Lord Jesus Christ with my eternal destiny forever. I trust him as savior. I trust that if I were to die this very instant, he would take me home to be with him. And yet you don't trust him for today. You don't trust him with your life here and now. Listen, we sang about it earlier. He is worthy. He's worthy. Beloved, he's faithful. You can trust him with everything. You can trust him with your very life because he holds our very breath, our existence this moment in his hand. And friend, trust him for eternity. Yes, please, today, if you haven't already, but beloved, trust him as well for today. Trust the Lord. He has bigger plans for the investment of your life than you do. But my life is so normal, preacher. Listen, go back and talk to Ruth. Go back and talk to Boaz. Out in the field working, out winnowing the grain, out going through life. Yet God had a greater purpose in their lives. And the greatest purpose he has, beloved, is that you would bring honor and glory to God. And you can do that in the normal, everyday circumstances. The Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, how normal is that? Everybody here today is going to go as quick as they can as soon as I'm done somewhere and get some grub and something to drink. God says, glorify me in that. Well, therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ask Ruth, ask Boaz, ask Obed, ask the shepherd boy David. What can God do with your life? He can use it and redeem it. Here, listen. Turn your life over to God. Trust Him. Be faithful. And learn from the examples of Boaz and Ruth. And know that God can use ordinary folks like us. Out in the middle of Anson County, among all the fields and cows and all that we have here gloriously. He can use us. For his honor and his glory. Will you allow him to do it 
in your life? Will we allow him to do it in his church here at Red Hill? Will you allow him to do it in your family? Will you trust him? Will you give him your life? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We worship, honor, and adore you. Now, Father, I pray that if anyone here today does not have Christ as Savior, I pray during this invitation you bring them and, Lord, allow someone to take the Word of God and talk with them and show them your Word and, Lord, lead them to Christ. I pray for believers today who know that they're saved and know that Christ is their Savior, yet they're struggling There's things in their life they're gripping with both hands trying to hold on to. I pray today, Lord, they would come and lay those things down at your feet. Lord, give you control, give you trust in every area of their life. I pray there would be those today who would come and surrender their lives. Say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Lord, I pray for these graduates that stood before us. The Lord, if they haven't already, they would surrender their lives. Say, listen, Lord, I'm yours. I want to serve you. I want to be used by you. Use my life to make a difference for eternity. Bless this invitation, I pray, in the Savior's name. Amen.